So good morning, folks. Thank you for being here. If you are a first-time guest, thank you for choosing to come and see who we are and what we're all about. We, we just absolutely love the opportunity to share Jesus with you. Uh, if this is your home church and you are here all the time, thank you for making it your priority today to start your week by worshiping God with us. Today we're continuing this series that we're, we're in right now, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. It's in Galatians 5. It's just two verses long, but there is so much that we're going to spend five weeks taking a look at what is in those two simple verses. So there's, there's a number of groupings, and so we've bro- broken it down in five different parts. Today we're looking at the third part of the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why is it important to look at this stuff? It's a theme that goes throughout in in different ways in Paul's writings in the New Testament. These things come together in pairs or in in threes or fours. Why is it important that we study them if if they're all over the place? Because if you're a brand new Christian... If you're a growing Christian, or if you're a mature Christian that's walked with Jesus for years, these nine characteristics, or these nine traits, give evidence to the world around us of the Holy Spirit within us. If maybe you're not sure what it is you need to be doing as a Christian, I'm not sure how to live as a Christian, begin by saying, how am I doing with these nine things? How am I doing by showing the fruit of the Spirit in my life to the people around me? When we talked about in our first week, I talked about how this is not a group of individual characteristics. They're all grouped into one. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, a singular. Because just like the apples on a tree, we don't call it an apple's tree. It's an apple tree. All of the fruit of the Spirit comes from the same source. They're all fed by the Holy Spirit. They come together and we should, as we're living as Christians, we should be showing them to the world as a group rather than just one or two of them all together. Unlike spiritual gifts, which also come from the Holy Spirit, we may have one or two or three of those. And when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit begins to dwell in you. And and the Holy Spirit begins to do the things in you of God that we cannot do on our own. One of the things is that the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. Those are for the intent purpose of edifying and building up the local church. Fruit of the Spirit is a different thing. It's this gathered collection of the characteristics and the traits that we should be showing the world as a Christian, whether brand new, growing, or mature. And when we look at them, there's three distinct groups. They come in a pattern of three. The first one is they're the inner activities of a believer. Love, joy, and peace. Those are the things that describe where our head is at and where our heart is at. They're the inner activities of the Holy Spirit. Then there's the outer activities, the outer expression that the world sees. Patience, kindness, and goodness. They're really a product of the other three already at work within us, which is why they all work together. And then the last three grouping, the faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that is an upper expression that goes toward God of the faith that is within us and how it is that we're living as a Christian. And the world around us can see those evidenced as well. All of them work together to show the Holy Spirit at work in us. When we exhibit these things, it doesn't mean that we're a better Christian. It means that the Holy Spirit is working in us and the world is able to see God at work through us. The fruit of the Spirit then 
is the Holy Spirit. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work within us as believers. So today we're going to understand, or we're going to take a look at two of them. One of them is forbearance, which you maybe understand better as, as uh, patience. And the second one is kindness. If you have an, NI, an ESV Bible, rather, it talks about forbearance. What it really means is patience. Uh, we don't use the word forbearance much in our culture, though. Start with a verse, 1 Corinthians 13.4. Paul says this, Love is patient and kind. Love is the first evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a coincidence that Paul uses this phrase in his writings in the New Testament. Love is patient and kind. All of these things work together. And as Paul is writing these letters to encourage the churches around the world that he's been, been planting, he's tying these themes together all the time, and the fruit of the Spirit is one of them. So what's patience? What does it mean? How is it that people see patience at work in us? Patience is perseverance. Patience is a a constant in us. Patience is consistent in us. Patience is enduring in us. Patience is not being in a hurry to force anything to happen. Patience is calm and prayerful. Patience is very active. It might not feel like it at the time, but patience, for example, never strikes back. Patience, even when you have the, the right and the opportunity to retaliate, Even when it would be deserved, patience says, no, just hold your horses. That's not what you're going to do. Patience is godliness in the face of persecution. Just like Jesus stood silent before his accusers, when we're patient and the Holy Spirit is in us, we are going to be patient before people who are cruel, who are unkind, who are saying mean things in a way that is an example of what Jesus did when they were accusing him of things he never did. Patience is what we extend to other believers and to non-believers alike. It isn't what we, we offer them because they deserve it. Patience is what we extend not because of who they are, but because of who is in us. Sometimes people mistake patience for weakness. And that's a big mistake. If you run into someone who you know is a Christian, and you suspect the Holy Spirit might be at work in them, and you think, well, you know what, they just seem to be getting run over by everybody all the time. Don't make the mistake of thinking that they're weak. What they're really exhibiting is Holy Spirit patience. And the only way that's possible is that they're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that strength of the Holy Spirit that allows us to treat others with kindness in the face of cruelty, in the face of rudeness and unfair ugliness that can get thrown our way. Some people you run into just seem to have this, this unending well of patience. It might likely be the Holy Spirit at work in them. It's exactly why John says something to us. We talk about, talk about being the light in the darkness, and the world doesn't know what to do with the light. John 15, 9 says, You don't belong to this world. This is Jesus talking. That's why I have chosen you out of the world, and that's why the world hates you. Don't be surprised when people don't understand the patience or the other fruit of the Spirit that's in you. They're not going to because they don't understand the Holy Spirit that's within you. As Christians, we should look and act and sound different than the world around us. That's the light in the darkness. It isn't that the darkness necessarily wants to see the light, but the light that is Jesus in us is what the world needs to see from us. And in the event that you think that that's difficult, think for a moment if we're going to be completely honest. And we don't necessarily like to do that. Imagine God's patience with you. 
I think about God's patience with me. God has shown His patience your whole life. He withholds His judgment on us as sinners because of Jesus and because of His love for us and His patience. It's easy to, it's easy to say, well, I, I'm awful patient toward that person, but you know what? They should be a lot more patient towards me. We expect an awful lot of God. But how much is it, are we really sharing with the world around us? But we've got to be careful. We have to be careful, especially living where we do, that we don't, we don't mistake patience for this other cultural characteristic that we have in Minnesota, and that is to avoid conflict because we don't necessarily want to have conflict. We don't necessarily have the words to talk about it. Maybe we don't have the skills to communicate frustrations. Ooh, we say that we're patient. But we're really not. That's not what's happening at all because we're just on fire on the inside. Patience, on the other hand, patience is a strength. It requires intentional action on our parts to be patient. Patient isn't necess- patience isn't necessarily natural. It is the action of waiting on God for an outcome. It's waiting for God when we would rather push things forward and just make something happen. Patience is waiting on God for an outcome. That discipline is the ability to give up what you might want for today for what you really want for tomorrow. Patience is an action. Patience isn't something that's sedentary. If God were no more patient than a human being, then I have to imagine that humanity would have been wiped off the face of the earth years ago. But God isn't a human being despite our efforts to try to turn Him into something that looks like one. God is patient with us because the love that He has for us in Jesus. There's an old story. It's not in the Bible. So don't go looking for the verse. But it's one of those that kind of teaches a lesson and it's appropriate. It talks about Abraham. And Abraham is living in his tent out in the desert. And a guy comes to him that's been on a long journey. He's old. He's tired. He's hungry. He's cold. And Abraham, according to the custom, brings him into his tent. He sets him down by a fire. He gives him dry clothes. He gives him food and something to eat. And he notices right away the guy just starts eating. Doesn't say thank you to Abraham. Doesn't say thank you to God. And Abraham's, don't you worship God? And the guy says, I worship only fire. And Abraham is just completely, he's flummoxed, he's confused, he doesn't know what to do. And so in this fit of rage, he kicks the guy out of his tent for not worshiping God and not giving thanks to him or to God for the food. So he sends the guy on the way, and God's voice comes to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, where is the man that I sent to you? Where is your visitor? Where is your guest? Where is your new friend? And Abraham is kind of smug and he says, well, I kicked him out because he doesn't worship you and he didn't give thanks for the food. And God says to Abraham, you mean I have suffered and endured that man for 80 years, Abraham, and you couldn't entertain him for one night? How often is that expecting something of God that we're not willing to extend to someone else? How often do we expect all of the promises of the Bible for God to give them to us when we have a hard time even being patient with someone else. To live in the fruit of patience shows that you're trusting in God's timing for your life, not forcing your own. Not demanding your own way or forcing your own schedule or, or insisting on your own version of the truth. I, I told you a, a few years ago, Nadia and I went to a funeral many years ago, and the man whose mother had passed away spoke, and she died very unexpectedly. She was older, but they didn't expect. She didn't have health problems. And he got up and he started talking. And the thing that just so sticks out is he remembered his mom in front of this gathered congregation. 
He said, the thing about my mom that I most admired and that I most want to be like is I, I admired her patience. I admired the way that every season of her life, she just simply lived in fully. She didn't try to hurry through the bad times and she didn't slow down and try to enjoy for longer the good times. Mom just lived in the season that God had her in. She didn't try to hurry up. She didn't try to slow down. She just simply lived in the season. And he said, I so admired her patience, this lifelong display of the fruit of the Spirit at work in her through celebrations and sadness, joy and pain. That's patience. And then there's kindness. And in Minnesota, we have a little bit of a hard time understanding kindness sometimes, I think. Kindness is gentle of spirit. It's thoughtful. It's considerate of others, and it's gracious to all in all circumstances, always. Kindness doesn't depend on the actions of others and returning what it is that they've done to us. And it's not offered in the expectation of anything in return. That's an exchange. That's an agreement. Kindness is something that we offer to the world because of what it is that God has done for us. As a way of understanding something, let's uh, talk about something that most of us are going to be able to get a grip on. Let's talk about good old Minnesota nice. If you live in Minnesota, if you've been here very long, you've heard the phrase Minnesota nice. If you don't live in Minnesota, if you're not from here, this has been an advertising campaign in Minnesota. Minnesota nice, home of Minnesota nice. Apparently we did away with 10,000 lakes and now we're nice. So it's Minnesota nice and we raise this up like this this banner of goodness that just has swept over the state. It's almost like the, the early settlers, the Norwegians and the Swedes and the Northern Europeans who settled here must have been especially kind and patient people. I mean, they must have been a really special breed. That's what we're holding on to. But for them, of course, to have called themselves patient would, and, and kind, that would have been seen as bragging, so they, they settled on nice. So we're Minnesota nice. I can just hear them. Yep, that's good. Let's, let's not talk about being quiet and humble, even though we are. That would be too much. You know, that wouldn't be humble, so let's just call ourselves nice. People won't be offended by that. So we're Minnesota nice. But like you have probably done, I finally figured out what Minnesota nice really means, and it's not so nice at all. I was kept in the dark, and then it became clear. As an example, we're not the only ones that do this. If you live in the deep south, and some of my favorite relatives live in the deep south of this country, and they've got a phrase, and I thought it was so cool. It just sounded so friendly. And you add their accent to it, and it makes it even better. Oh, bless her heart. Bless his heart. Bless your heart. That's not what they mean. That accent kind of throws you off, but they're not actually blessing anything. What they're doing is going, he's literally too dumb to know how dumb he is. Or, gee whiz, I'm sorry, you sure had that coming. They say what's publicly acceptable to get across a point that they wouldn't otherwise say. Bless your heart. If you're in the South and someone says, bless your heart, run. They might be real nice people, but that's not what they mean. But you know, they're not the only ones. Because Dater and I have friends who are from Canada. And they have a take on the word sorry. It's Surrey. Again, the accent. The accent throws you off. I, what we found out is we, we're having a conversation and, and the one keeps saying sorry to Deidre. And Deidre finally says, you don't mean sorry at all, do you? And she goes, no. Well, what do you mean? Too bad. You had it coming. You earned it. Yeah, yeah it's your own problem. You asked for it. It's not, not at all about, about being nice and apologizing. It's basically tough luck. You bought that one. But with that accent, it kind of throws us off a little bit. 
The point is we've all got these expressions that appear to be something nice. They appear to be something good. But in reality, that all-out statement, if it was really in the open, is quite to the opposite. Jaden, who did a great job talking last week about peace and joy, said nowhere in the Bible does it talk about happiness. So I looked up nice, and nowhere in the Bible that I could find does it talk about being nice. Despite all of my heritage and relatives being proud of Minnesota nice, the Bible doesn't list that up as a value. Because as Christians, we're to be kind. And that's a very different thing. We're to be kind, Holy Spirit kind, in an unkind and cruel world. We're to be kind to unkind people. We are to be kind to unkind leaders and authorities. Spiritual kindness is a rarity today. Nice, nice is all over the place. But kindness, true kindness, that's rare. To be kind is to truly think of others and put their needs ahead of your own and then act on them in a helpful way without worrying about what thanks you get in return. Kindness puts the needs of others ahead of your own. And yet, I see so many examples, and even of Christians, so many examples of people who are more kind to strangers and even animals than they are other Christians. In this world of divided politics where we've got social issues that are splitting us down the middle every which way, true kindness isn't to be found anymore. We've learned to be nice. But kindness is something different. And when we're more nice to animals than we are kind to people, there's a problem. We justify our actions by telling ourselves, well, at least I'm being nice. See, kindness isn't what we like to refer to as Minnesota nice. Minnesota nice is saying one thing out loud that's publicly acceptable and then feeling and talking to others about how you really feel about someone or something. Nice is a pleasant on the ears soundbite where kindness is in a genuine outpouring of your inner peace and joy that you heard about last week. Being nice is presenting what we expect people want to see from us, but being kind is being Jesus for others. Being, deni- being nice is delighting that you know some tidbit of truth that we can throw with a good bit of gossip and rumor and we can get away with it with a little bit of a smile, a, a disarming smile, kind of like, bless your heart or Surrey. Kindness is to tell the truth of the gospel in love, not to love to tell the truth. And there's a big difference between them. There's no reason for the kind of Minnesota nice that we hear all the time, but there's no reason not to be Christian kind. Kindness is caring for people in their messiness. It's not caring about getting into their business and making their messiness public. It's about coming alongside and being Jesus for them. And you know what? Being kind, it doesn't take very much. When you're actually looking for opportunities to be kind, the opportunities are everywhere. And the way that you can impact a person's life is unbelievable. And it just doesn't take much. I, I read the story of an old lady that went to the post office at Christmas time. All she needed to do was to buy stamps. Everybody else is there with this big long line with all the packages they're trying to get into the deadline to get to their families and friends and relatives before uh, Christmas Eve. And somebody said, you know, if you don't have packages, ma'am, there's a stamp machine where you can go buy stamps out in the outer lobby. She said, I know there is. And she continued to wait in line. They said, you know, I I don't care what you do with your time, but it seems strange to me that you don't just go buy the stamps and and mail your cards. Why are you standing in line? She said, because the stamp machine isn't going to ask me how my arthritis is feeling. 
It doesn't take much to be kind. If you're aware of the people around you, you know what's important to them. Kindness is just simply showing them that you actually care. Yeah, kind may take a moment of your time. It, it may cause a little bit of disruption to your schedule. It, it may take you off the plan you had for the day. It might even take a little bit of your money. But you know, the return on the effort for the simple act of being kind to another human being in the name of Jesus is priceless to the one who receives that act of kindness, and it is good for the heart and the soul of the giver. And what you realize, I promise what you realize is, that wasn't too bad, I could do it again. Actually, I feel pretty good about that. Galatians 6, 9 says, Be kind to one another. There's this theme that keeps running through all of Paul's work. Patience and kindness are a part of the fruit of the Spirit, but they're also a daily decision to die to ourselves and to walk with Christ, to give up a little bit of our lives and our time and our wants and our will to Him and to show others the Christ that lives in us. It's one thing to call ourselves a Christian. It's something very different to show the world that we are. That all sounds like passive activities, like it doesn't really require very much. But as believers, Paul talks about life as a race. Life is a race that we run. That means living in the fruit of the Spirit, living with the Holy Spirit alive in us, is an active thing on our part. To be patient requires exercise. We exercise patience. To be kind to someone, we have to exercise kindness, which means we work on them, we develop them, we build that characteristic in ourselves intentionally, not because we came up with it on our own, but because of the Holy Spirit who is in us, that we say, I'm going to stop living my way, I'm going to start living your way. We exercise the fruit of the Spirit. Imagine, if you would, if the people who you know best began to speak of you in a way that that called out your patience. It called out your kindness, your love for others, your peace, your joy in all circumstances. What a blessing that would be to you, but imagine the blessing that it must be for them to recognize it in you. And then I'll go a step further and I'll say, if, if people don't talk about us that way, why? Not because the Holy Spirit isn't doing His job. It's because we're not cooperating and exercising the fruit of the Spirit that's already within us. Ada and I were talking about this message and she reminded me of uh, her time at graduate school. That was kind of the, um, for a very very formative time in her life. She had a roommate named Christine. And Dadu was a nice person by every measure. She, she had Minnesota nice down. She was a good person. She cared about people. She was a good student. If you knew Dadu back then, you would have said, yep, she's one of the good ones. She's a good one. But she hadn't yet surrendered her life, not to Jesus. So she was nice, but she hadn't given her life to Jesus. And this roommate, Christine, knew this. And Christine was a believer. And because Deidre was a roommate of hers, Deidre became important to Christine. So she began to encourage her, talk to Jesus about her. Uh, she began to help her in ways that maybe Deidre didn't expect. And Deidre is an independent person and sometimes found irritating. But she cared about... Daedri, because she loved Jesus, and she wanted Daedri to know that she cared for her. And what she was doing in reality was demonstrating in Daedri's life the fruit of the Spirit, something she didn't yet have an understanding of, didn't have language for, joy, peace, kindness, and all the others. What resulted, and the end result of it was, Daedri gave in to the joy that she saw 
in Christine and she gave her life to the source of that joy, Jesus. Because Christine was willing to live the fruit of the Spirit even in those moments that Deidre didn't want to see it. And it caused a dramatic change in the rest of Deidre's life and in her eternity. And she surrendered her life and gave her life to Jesus. All because this woman was willing to be kind and joyful and show patience. Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It doesn't even start with us. It starts with Jesus and what He did for us. All of this on our part isn't an exercise in our greatness. It's an exercise of a response to what Jesus did first for us. Christine lived for Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit was evident in her and it was compelling enough for Deidre to lay down her life and to begin to live for Jesus, what she's done since. Who is God calling you to be an example to? Who has God put in your life to show the fruit of the Spirit alive and at work in you? Who is it that's around you because God's placed them there that needs to see joy that they don't understand, peace that they can't comprehend, kindness that they don't deserve, love that isn't warranted, that doesn't ask anything in return? Who are the people around you that God has put and placed in your life to be an example to? Who has He set before you to encourage, to share, to witness, and to pray into the kingdom of heaven? Because those people are there. That's just the way that God works. The question is, do you see them and are you willing to respond? Does the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness that they see in you all point to Jesus? Or do they see Minnesota nice characteristics where we say one thing and then we do something else? If you're ready, maybe, maybe right here, right now, maybe it's your time to say, I'm done, like David came to that point years ago. Jesus, I'm done fighting you because that's the only one you're fighting. You're not fighting somebody else. Maybe you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm not doing it on my own very well. It is not going any direction. I want to continue. I'm ready to surrender. And that's the word, friends. Surrender my life to you. Maybe you've known Jesus your whole life and you realize, I've gotten a long way away from Him. I used to be sitting close to that fire of faith and I've put myself way out into the distance and I want to come back home. Wherever you're at, if you're ready to, to commit or recommit your life to Jesus, I just want you to pray with me because here's the thing. The moment you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to dwell within you. And the Bible says that He gives you spiritual gifts that help to build the church and that the fruit of the Spirit begins to take root and grow with you. And then it is our responsibility. The process is on us to grow that fruit of the Spirit. And so if you're ready to give your life to Jesus or to come back to Jesus, uh, just pray this with me. And, and if you've been walking with Him and you like where you're at, then just pray for all the folks that we're going to pray with. So let's please pray. Gracious God, thank You for today. Thank You for this divine appointment. God, we don't understand how You work in our world. But God, we know and we trust that you are at work in our world. And God, you're at work in us. Because for every one of us who has surrendered our life to Jesus, we're not the same person as we were before. We're not perfect yet. We're far from it. But we're not who we were. And God, there are some people this morning that are just tired. They're tired of swimming upstream. They're tired of climbing up the same hill, pushing the same rock and getting nowhere. They're tired of doing life on their own terms and they're ready 
they're ready to live life the way that you created them to live it. So God, for everyone who is, who is ready and willing to say yes to Jesus, God, it begins with acknowledging that we're sinners and we all are. And that we are in need of a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior who gave His life for us. We confess those sins, God, and we ask You to forgive us. And then we go further and we say with the Holy Spirit that You promised to us, God, we repent and we don't want to keep sinning in the way that we have. We don't want to keep doing the stuff that's gotten us to where we are. God, for those who have, who have given their life to You but have strayed, have gotten cold, God, is everyone who is ready to come back to You, God, I just pray that that becomes a very real, those words they've heard for years, being a sinner and confessing, repenting and being forgiven. They're words that we hear, but they're not necessarily things that we take serious. God, I pray that we would hear them with new ears today. Then, God, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would take root and grow in all of us, that we would cooperate, that we would exercise the gift of Your Holy Spirit in us. And, God, that we would become the new creation that You promised that we will be in Jesus. Thank You for what You've done through Him for us that we cannot do for ourselves. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So a message isn't worth much if there isn't a takeaway, something to go home with and think about throughout the week. So here it is. Here's your challenge, because that's what we like to do around here. I challenge you this week to be kind to that guy in the office that's a jerk. I challenge you to be nice to that woman that's always whining. Find a way to be kind, not nice, excuse me. Be kind to the guy that cuts you off in traffic. Be kind to the person that doesn't deserve it. Be kind to the person that is always angry. Because there's a very good chance the thing that they're missing that you have within you is hope. You have the hope of Jesus. And people in the world who don't, they're going to make fun of you for believing what you believe and for doing what you do and for loving when when it doesn't seem reasonable and for having peace and joy when it doesn't make sense. But you know what? If you're kind when they don't expect it, that might be the open door that you have to talk about where that kindness comes from, that it really isn't you at all, that there's this well of love and peace and joy and hope that you have. So my challenge to you this week is to find the people who are most difficult to be around and just be kind to them. Don't ask anything in return because you shouldn't expect it. Because as Christians, God has done for us what we shouldn't have any right to expect as well.